0: Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hey everyone, welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on a mission together. I am Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co host, Tim Ketchum.
1: Just hang on.
0: I wish you could see his face. Uh, I don't want to do video podcasting, but um, (laughs) I would have been a lot better if you guys could see his face. Um, uh, We're so glad you're listening today, and welcome to episode number 11. We just finished up a series on Jesus and his family, and we did that to help kind of set the stage and get a better picture of Jesus' surroundings his background, but we're moving forward now. So do you want to sort of talk about our approach?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're doing a, a narrative approach, which means we're starting in Genesis and then we're just going to work our way up through the Bible. And you might be thinking, wow, that's going to be a really long series. And you're right. It's going to be a long series. But What we are going to do is every time we go into an old testament passage we're also going to connect it with a new testament passage and that way we're not kind of getting lost in the weeds of only looking at old testament stories as if they're standalone stories we're always gonna bring it back and anchor it in jesus and that doesn't necessarily mean like we're gonna try to find jesus on every page which he does not show up on every page of the Old Testament, but we are gonna find out the places where he does and the implications for his story. So
0: Okay, I'm glad that we're going to have an Old Testament passage that correlates with the New Testament passage. That's great.
1: Yeah.
0: Are we going to Genesis one or where are we headed?
1: Yeah, I figure we could start with uh Genesis one twenty six. I'm actually really tempted to start with Genesis one one and one two, but that would open up a whole can of worms that we would probably take us away from talking about <laughs> Jesus directly. Mm. So we're we're just going to skip on up to Genesis one twenty six. Good discernment there. <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of can of worms that you can open up.
1: It's true. <laughs> so Then we could go fishing. Yes. For other topics. Yeah. And but, open up more cans. But we're not, so. Right.
0: <laughs> we're talking about Jesus, so Okay, Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the earth.
1: So I was thinking we could probably start with just highlighting a few of the terms here that will give meaning to the passage that we're going to look at in Hebrews. We're actually going to look at a passage in Hebrews 2 to connect this. So kind of walking through the verse here, it says, uh, he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And that word image, uh, which by the way, I should say that what we're about to talk about is hotly debated among different people and everyone has an opinion and a perspective on it. So I'll just share mine and we'll just kind of We'll just roll with that. <laughs> so, um, but the term "image" there is actually uh, the idea of a shadow, or you could say like a silhouette. Like if you look at the Hebrew, the the root meaning of the word "image," it's kind of like a not really a form, but just something that a shadow that is cast that you could see a, a definite outline of something. And so you can think like if you see someone's shadow. You know, you don't know what kind of facial expression they have. You don't know what their facial features are. You know, you can tell certain things about someone by their shadow, but there's a lot left to be told about that person. You know, sort of like the context of this in their own culture is that when, you know, like an emperor or a king uh, were to go into another country and conquer that country, they had to kind of signify that this is our territory. And so what they would do is that they would set up a statue of themselves at the boundaries of that territory. So that if you're kind of like one of those wandering tribes and you were to kind of wander into that territory, the idea here is that you would see an image of that king and you would say, Oh, we're we're about to go into this new territory that's owned by this particular king. If you can think about Adam and Eve, they're kind of like that statue at the boundary. And God's saying, I want a representative. I want an image bearer, someone who's going to represent me and is going to be kind of like a marker for this territory that I'm giving them. And so, you know, if you keep reading in the Genesis account, God places them in a garden And the garden is well-kept, but everything around them is not a garden. All of the earth is not well-kept. It's actually, you know, very unruly, which is why he has to tell them to go and exercise dominion over the earth. And they're basically supposed to bring out order from chaos. And so God kind of sees Adam and Eve as these, uh, you know, not statues, but they're, they're signaling to other forms of creation that this territory is occupied, there is a king, and this, this is the representative of that king. And then he uses another phrase. He says, according to our likeness. And this is where it kind of gets a, you know into some disagreement. Some people say, well, those are just two different words for the same thing. They're not really saying anything different. But I tend to see it as them saying something different. So, for example... You know, later on when in the story of Noah, you know, after the flood, God gives Noah some instructions and says, hey, you know, don't don't go around killing anyone. Uh, be any, and the reason because that you're not supposed to kill is that because man is made in my image. That's what God says. And so the image is kind of like static. You know, it's it's something that doesn't change. It, it doesn't get you don't become more in the image and less in the image. Kind of like a a shadow doesn't increase or decrease. It's still the same shape of the person. But likeness, on the other hand, I think is more dynamic. In other words, you can become more like God or less like God. And this kind of shows up in the temptation narrative where the quote-unquote serpent says, "You know, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat that fruit is because he knows when you eat that, you will become like him knowing good or evil. And then towards the end of that temptation narrative, God does actually say, you know, they have become like us, knowing good and evil. And so that kind of lets us know that this likeness dynamic is something you could increase in. And if you can increase in something, you can also decrease in it. And so there's this sliding scale of being in God's likeness. And in fact, when you kind of double-click on this term, in Hebrew, it does have the idea of... It's, it's more relational. Um, it's more descriptive. There's more parts. It's not just a silhouette or an outline like a shadow. It, it has there's, there's more similarities. There's more features to it. He, he basically says, Hey, we're going to make man in our image and our likeness. And I want them to have dominion over the air and over the cattle, um, over the earth and creeping things. And then he eventually tells them, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Essentially, God is giving them a task. He's like, I'm creating you in my image, creating you in my likeness, but I want you to do something. I want you to accomplish something. There's a purpose. The The sad part of this story is that Adam and Eve barely even get out of the gate in accomplishing that task, and things go downhill.
0: Yeah, it does go downhill kind of fast, Um, but that is interesting, the distinction between the static and non-static, the image and the likeness.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm kind of bringing up that likeness factor because it's going to play into the passage in Hebrews 2. Okay. And so we're just going to jump up to the New Testament and try to anchor this in and connect it with something that Hebrew writer says about Jesus.
0: Good deal. You want me to read? Yeah. Okay, so we're in Hebrews 2, starting in verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking.
1: Okay, let's take a quick pause just to kind of give us some context there. Okay. So when he says the world to come, he's talking about whatever happens after Jesus returns, his second coming. And it's kind of strange because it's almost like he's anticipating them saying, oh, like the world to come is going to be managed by angels. Like they're going to be the governors and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. The world to come is not going to be managed by angels.
0: Hmm. So if it's not managed by angels, the question is, who will it be?
1: (laughs) Let's keep reading.
0: Okay. Verse six. But there's a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of god he might taste death for everyone
1: okay so this is kind of connected what the hebrews writer does is he quotes a psalm from psalm chapter 8 which talks about sort of like a, a rehearsing of the creation narrative in psalm chapter 8 of creating adam he kind of draws out this point that god put everything under subjection to Adam and Eve. They were supposed to have dominion over everything. And so he quotes this psalm and says, hey, this is how everything got started. This is the way it was. This is the way it should have been. And then he gives us that one line where he says, but we do not see everything underneath him now. In other words, this thing has gone way off track. This whole process, this whole task that Adam and Eve were supposed to accomplish it never was completed it it was aborted and it it was derailed and so he kind of says it started off this way but then it went this way and then he says but we see Jesus who was crowned who was made a little lower than the angels And was crowned with glory and honor. And what he's saying is that Jesus essentially steps into the story of Adam. And he carries that story to completion. Wherever Adam and Eve went left, Jesus went right. Wherever they stopped, Jesus kept going. Or, if you want to say it like this, Jesus retells the story of Adam the way it was always intended to be told. Jesus was as a in his human nature, he was in the image of God. And he was also in the likeness of God, in his human nature. You know, when we mentioned that the likeness of God is not static, it's something that can be developed, it can increase. You can just kind of think about Jesus. God in the flesh, what does that likeness of God look like? How far can it go? And what does it look like for someone to live their life um, in accordance with or in complete likeness of God? And that's, that's what we see in Jesus. He is developing and perfecting that likeness to God in his life and even in his death.
0: Mm, this is a really big and important idea. And talking about Jesus, because God I mean they created humankind, you know, with this trajectory, with this plan and with this coming to fullness, and it got cut off kind of pretty quick, so i that's really is a big idea of where Jesus comes in um in becoming a human and living out to the fullness. Of of what was intended all along, mm. and then, of course, allowing us to also join in to that life, to that full life that God always meant for us.
1: Yeah, it really is a beautiful story when you think about it from the standpoint of one one of the analogies that I've found helpful, and I don't I don't even know if they make these kinds of kids books anymore. But when I was growing up, they had a choose your own adventure kind of book Mm. where you got to a certain point in the book and you say, you know, does, do you want the character to go through the door or not? And if you say yes, go to page 64. If you say no, go to page 85. Mm -hmm. And the frustrating thing was you had to keep your finger at that point because if you read the outcome of that decision and you didn't like it, you would go back to that page and then choose the other option. Right. Right. And, you know, when you're doing a choose-your-own-adventure book, it's easy to do that. But in life, it's not. Like, when you make choices in life and choose to go right instead of left, but you were supposed to go left, like, there's consequences for those choices. And it's hard to undo those consequences. Essentially, what the Hebrew writer is saying is that Jesus came in the form of a human being, And it was like he was turning back the pages of the Choose Your Own Adventure, except that he went all the way back to the beginning of the story. He was born as a human being, and he went through the story the way the story was always intended to be told. In other words, it it quote-unquote had a happy ending. Why would he do that? Because he was basically trying to repair the damage that was done... By us to our own human nature, and he's revisiting those places. And in his own, you know, body, in his mind, in his spirit, he is going right where we went left, or he keeps going beyond the point where we would stop and give up, he would go further than that. Essentially, Jesus is retelling the story of our lives the way God always wanted the story to be told.
0: This is what you call good news. It's good news because Jesus can repair damage that has been done in us. He can help us overcome and see victory where we would be defeated. And he can take us places where we can't go on our own. So I know um, this conversation will continue because there's definitely more to say on this topic. So if you want to keep listening, I hope you will subscribe on your platform of choice. We're going to cut it off for episode 11, but we're so thankful you listened and we will catch you next time.